Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Table's podcast. The Table is a church located in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. Today's episode is part three of a three-part series on the prodigal son. Today, we will focus on the father. We will be reading from Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Let's go ahead and take a listen. Uh, we are... Uh, concluding our series on the prodigal son today. Uh, each week we've had a sermon, a message about a different character in the prodigal son story uh, told by Jesus. Um, the, the parable of the compassionate father with two lost sons. And this, uh, this final uh, message is going to be about the character of, of the father. And so uh, we're going to hear the passage one more time read by Jen. And uh, let's give a good listen and hear what the Lord uh, might be wanting to say to us uh, today uh, through these ancient words. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger said, younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from that what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more more than enough food? but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch that fattened calf and slaughter it. You must celebrate with feasting, because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I have served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction, yet you have never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So there's a man driving around a very full parking lot. There are no free spaces anywhere, and he's getting kind of stressed. He prays, Dear God, if you just give me a parking space, I will quit cussing. I'll quit smoking. I'll, I'll be nice to every, I'll go to church every Sunday. Please, Lord. And just then, he turns down another aisle, and right there in front of him is an empty space. So he says, oh, sorry, God, never mind, I found one. <laughs> There's a fine line between pastor jokes and dad jokes. Sorry about that. All right. Okay. Usually, usually when I tell this joke, the point is that we don't recognize the blessings that God bestows upon us. Okay? But there's a different, uh, an even more fundamental point, uh, a, a fundamental meaning to that joke for me when I tell it next to Jesus' parable about the compassionate father who has two sons. Okay? So the guy in the parking lot treats the Lord the way a lot of us do, primarily as a heavenly being who is there to give us things that we ask for, right? Dial a miracle. Or there's another joke that says, uh, <laughs> a guy says, 
You know, my kids treat me like I'm God. It's amazing. They ignore me until they want something. <laughs> and with this view of God, right? Um, now, there, there might be some mutual accountability. There might be an element of give and take. I will do this for God so that God will do this for me, right? So God is obviously concerned about whether the guy in the parking lot cusses a lot. And so offering him a parking space and in exchange for him bringing down the obscenities, that seems like a good trade, right? Sure. What? A, sure. Right. Um, but we do kind of operate like this from time to time in our relationship to God. And when we do, our relationship to God resembles the relationship of a person to a vending machine, right? You reach out to God when you get the gimmies. And you put money in the vending machine, you get some Doritos. At God's vending machine, you put in prayers, supplications, personal piety. You promise that you will tithe or you will recycle more, whatever it is that you promise. <laughs> and then you, you're supposed to get out what you ask for. Um, and what you have selected from the menu. Okay, so the Journal of the American Medical Association once published an article about vending machine rage. <laughs> it was an actual scientific study, and, and I have the link to this. Uh, Kristen's gonna put it in the comments uh, to this video, okay? This is an actual scientific like research project uh, studying instances in which persons banging on and shaking vending machines caused the machines to fall over onto them, resulting in injury or even death. Okay, and the, the purpose of the study was to talk about how the machines should be built better so that they don't fall over as easily, right? And this was actually published years ago. I think that some of their recommendations for like design improvements have been implemented. And hey, I'm glad <laughs> that mach vending machines and soda machines are harder to tip over. Um, but there is the issue of people violently shaking them in the first place, right? We probably wouldn't need a study like this if, if people didn't fly into such a rage when they put their 95 cents into a machine and they don't get their Snickers, right? Um, and I think we can all attest that, you, you know, you see some pretty impressive levels of like homicidal fury in those moments when the machine doesn't give you what you expect it to. Now, think about how jaded and angry and maybe just frustrated or, or discouraged, right, people feel when they have been taught that God is like a vending machine that will give you what you ask for if you just pray the right prayer or do the right thing, right? If we don't get what we want, then we think God doesn't care about us or doesn't listen or isn't fair or isn't real. Um, but the truth is that if we relate to God just in terms of these tangible stuff that, that God is going to give us, we really don't understand the character of God and we don't know what faith really is, okay? In Jesus' story about the compassionate father, um, both of his sons value and appreciate their dad only in terms of what they expect to get out of him. Okay? This is obvious, <laughs> right? And it's in your face with the younger son, right? He knows his old man is going to die so someday, so why not just get it over with and die today and, and so that he can have his inheritance? And if you're not going to die anytime soon, Dad, you know, I'll just take my money now. Thank you very much. Okay. He doesn't care about his family or his home or the memories or the heritage. He just wants to cash in and hit the road. That is all his father means to him. 
the older son believes he has a self-image, right? That he is the dutiful son, upstanding, honorable, and he does certainly conduct himself according to social customs, right? He follows the rules. Um, you know, he does the stuff that I guess everybody agrees that a good son is supposed to do. But we see that he is actually, he's not like motivated by love or any true virtue of character. We see this in his dialogue with his dad. It becomes clear that he's thinking about his own inheritance, just like his brother. First and foremost, what's going to happen to my share? right? Um, when the younger son comes home, the elder son is mad, but he's not mad because he's like protective of his father who had been so hurt by the younger son's previous choices. No, he's just worried about his own share of the pie, the family estate. If his younger brother gets back into the family, right, then maybe he'll somehow get his hands on the half of the, the family estate that should belong to the older brother. And so, and so both of these guys have the same priorities. They just have a different style from each other, okay? Um, okay. Side note, did you notice that uh, both sons are focused on food? That's an interesting detail in this parable. The younger son returns to his father's house because he is hungry. He is so hungry that he is envious of the pigs that he's gotten a job taken care of, right? And he knows that his father's servants are well fed. So it may be a humble meal that he returns to, but he's just thinking about supper. Um, and that's why he comes home. Now, the older son, later in the parable, right, he reacts to the welcome home party that is being thrown, and he fixates, he focuses on, on one element in particular, which is the food that is being served. The fatted calf has been butchered, and he says, what about me? Okay, I've never gotten a calf or even a goat to have for a fancy meal, right? And so whether it's the big picture of the entire inheritance or something as specific as what you're gonna eat for supper today, right? These guys are thinking about their father in terms of what he can give them materially, okay? Friends, it is bad for us. It, it is harmful to our relationships and it does violence to our own souls. When we value God or our family members or our co-workers or our neighbors only according to what we think we can get from them. This way of valuing people and valuing God is spiritually bankrupt. And the parable shows us why. Okay, think of the journey of the younger son, right? He valued his father according to the money that he could get out of him, okay? Well, he got his money, and then he went out into the world waving it around and spending wildly, and what do you know? People valued him the way that he valued his father. While he had money to spend, people probably made him feel real special, real important, right? So good to see you, sir. Your table is right this way, right? But when the money was gone, okay, he didn't mean anything to anybody. And therein lies the dirty little secret of this worldview, is that if you commodify other people, you commodify yourself. Okay. If you bind somebody's value to their account balance, you bind yourself with the same cord. Okay. You will never experience real friendship, real community, right? real love if you equate a person's money with their value. Meanwhile, if you do operate that way, you manufacture, you conjure up, you create an experience of scarcity, which leads to competition and even hatred, right? If your, if your parents, let's say, let's picture a good scenario. If your parents are people with inherent value in your 
view, right? Because of the love that your family shares amongst all its members. Well, there's always going to be enough for the family to weather the trials of life because the relationships of the family facilitate a shared well-being through common care and common concern. But if all your parents mean to you is the money that you're going to get from them sooner or later, right, then you relate to other people in your family as competitors or even enemies because you're just carving up a pie and somebody else's gain is necessarily your loss. Friends, this is a tragedy, right? Siblings turn into mortal enemies because of what they perceive is at stake, okay? The two sons, now, they have internalized this way of thinking, and they've internalized it not only in, in what they expect to get from dad, but also in the ways that they assume that they need to operate as members of this family and members of this system, right? The older son says outright that he has worked and he has slaved for his whole life so that his father will give him what he wants, right? Now, the younger son does not invest in this way, at, definitely in the early part of his life, right? He doesn't put his, like, payment into the vending machine at the beginning. But when he comes back, note that he comes back to work, right? Because that's the only way he's going to eat, right? There are things that he must do to get what he needs, okay? And this, again, it's a transactional sort of, it's treating a family like a marketplace, right? And the father refuses to operate according to the expectations of his sons. He doesn't give them what they believe they are due, whether it's good or whether it's bad, right? He does not treat them like commodities that he can use, right? The father does not relate to the sons the way that they are relating to him. He doesn't withhold good things saying that I will give this to you if you do this for me, right? He is, uh, he's not evaluating them. He's not, he's not trying to ascertain whether they've got enough change in their pockets um, to purchase things from his vending machine, right? That's not the way he operates. The father, he just loves them, okay? He, he just loves them. And he has good things to share with them, including material things. He has an estate. He has rings and robes. He has fatted calves. Okay. But he does not share these things with his children. He does not give these things away because his kids have passed some bar or paid some particular dues or earned the right. No. He gives freely, right? And he gives only because he loves them, right? His kids belong to him, not that he owns them, and he certainly doesn't control them, but they are his treasures. They are his joy, okay? Now, there is a subtle but important point that we should note, okay, about the character of the Father in Jesus' parable. Um, he represents God, right? I think we all know, recognize that. Um, and, and, you know, the template, the, the paradigm of a, of a father is, very, is a very comfortable frame of reference for a lot of people as they think about God. So a lot of people very naturally pray to Father God, right? Um, Jesus calls God Father um, in many different times in the Gospels and tells even other uh, teachings and parables in which God is referred to as a father kind of figure. Um, but Jesus' point in using this father language and father imagery is not to say that God is a patriarch or a man or any category of person per se. Remember that the parable of the prodigal son uh, comes right immediately after another parable in which uh, God, there is a God character, and the God character in that parable is a woman who has lost a coin, right? And so 
you know, God isn't saying that, Jesus isn't saying that God is a woman or that God is a man. Jesus gives various ways of characterizing God that help us to know God as the Holy One who encompasses all these different dimensions of personhood, male and female, mother and father, servant and leader and caregiver, right? And all the different ways that Jesus characterizes God contribute to who we know God to be, right? But there's something even even more <laughs> um, to understand about Jesus's concept of the Father than than just you know not limiting it to like gender you know expectations and stereotypes and blah blah blah, right? Um, in this parable, Jesus is not he, he even though he's saying a man had two sons and you know and he tells this story about. A, an, an earthly father. He is not asking us to imagine a like a good dad, maybe somebody we actually know and admire, you know, and, and Jesus is saying, God is like that. Now that that is not Jesus's point in the way that he tells this parable, because in this parable, the father does things that a normal father in Jesus's day would never do. Okay, and so he he's actually, he's not likening God to fathers as people generally know them. He's actually distinguishing. Um, he is showing how God is different, okay, than a normal father. So, for example, a normal, no patriarch in Jesus's time would divide his estate and allow a son to sell off his portion and to leave, right? A son who requested such a thing, I mean, the, the consequences would be enormous. That The son would be beaten. Um, he would be publicly shamed. You know, he could be executed. Um, but if, if not, um, there would be some kind of, you know, crushing regimen of restitution that would be ascribed to a son for uh, committing an insult like that, right? And then, but there's more insults than just that in this parable. Um, the example of the older son is is less severe and less shocking, but the same social norms are relevant. So the father is throwing a party, right? And the son stands outside making a public spectacle and complaining that the party wasn't fair. And social norms would just never allow something like that um, to fly. I mean, that is just absolutely profoundly disrespectful. And it would have been totally shocking to Jesus's listeners. And Jesus does that on purpose in the way he tells this story. He gives an unimaginable premise because he wants people to realize that grace is actually greater than what they had imagined. Okay? Jesus says that, the, that God the Father is not like fathers as you know them. And that, that's very important for us because we've put a lot of toxic stuff into our religion by associating God with men in general and patriarchy, right? Jesus gives us a different image of a divine parent that we can strive to imitate. But if we were to imitate this kind of divine an unconditionally loving parent, then we would have to leave behind a lot of our human contemporary norms, a lot of our biases and our bitterness and our baggage, okay? So the father in Jesus's parable is a, a parent who fully defies and upends and transcends our expectations and norms about how people should be treated, how people should be valued, how people who have done wrong should be punished, right? How people earn their place. He blows apart our whole world view. And he, he invites us, Jesus invites us to imagine first and foremost a transgression that is shocking and appalling, the kind of thing that wrecks families, the kind of thing that banishes people to the outer darkness. It's like a kind of death. And he even uses that word, right? And this 
this transgression cannot be undone and and it really cannot be repaid or made right in the conventional social uh, terms that we are used to, right? But then as he lays out this transgression, he then invites us to imagine an embrace, a welcome, a celebration, and, and, and a love that is not diminished or damaged or undercut or threatened, not even a little bit, no matter what has happened. Okay? It's, it's quite extraordinary. And th this love that Jesus is describing, it's not even <laughs> a love that's just sort of like hanging out, you know, and waiting to see what happens. No, this, this love that Jesus describes is a love that comes for us, right? When the older brother is pouting and, and he's out in the field and he's refusing to join the, the celebration, the father comes out to him. And the father pleads for him to come in. Right? When the prodigal journeys home, the father sees him on the road and runs out to him. Right? This is incredibly important. For one thing, the father does not wait to see if the son is repentant or to hear what he has to say for himself. He's, he's not waiting for an apology even. He embraces him and he kisses him before the son can even say a word. Did you notice that? Um, the father puts a robe and a ring on his son there on the road before they get back to the house. This is a preemptive strike of grace, right? So that as he will re-enter his home, right? It has already been confirmed that he belongs there. Okay? This is a love that does not depend on how bad the son's track record is or how much he has done to make up for his mistakes or what his repayment plan is going to be for all that he has taken and squandered right this this love does not depend on any of that okay so let's talk about you and me okay if you have struggled over your own failures and if you have believed yourself unworthy or if you have judged your brother and sister because they're unworthy and you've harbored hatred and resentment because they have received some good things that you know they don't deserve. Or if you have striven endlessly and depleted yourself trying to earn your place, trying to prove your value. Okay. The parable of the prodigal son is for you. It scatters all these fears and these fatalisms like dust because the, in the light of love, none of those things has the power that we always thought they did. They add up to nothing. Love comes before everything and it lasts beyond everything. Love answers all objections and bows not to disbelief. Love is greater. Okay. We cannot earn this love, but we can imitate it. We can share it. We don't need to be worthy. The love is there. Okay. All we need to worry about <laughs> is how we pass it on. How we act like the Holy One who has bestowed this love upon us. Okay. One last thing. Do you remember uh, <laughs> the part where the, the sun hits rock bottom and he decides to go back? You remember that part of the story? Uh, remember that he has a little talk with himself. Is is 
you know, he's like sort of getting up the nerve and he he's practicing what he's going to say. Like he's almost like he's standing in front of the, the mirror. Not that he had a mirror, you know, um, but he basically says to himself, OK, this is what I'm going to say when I get back. You remember that part? Well, there's three things that he he plans to say when he sees his father. He says he's going to say, father, I have sinned against you against heaven and against you. That's one. And then he's going to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's two. Okay. And then he's going to say, treat me like one of your servants. When the father spotted him on the road and he ran out to meet him, the son had this little mini speech ready to go, right? And just like he practiced, he jumped into it, okay? But did you notice that he didn't get to the end? And he said the first two things, but not the third. He said, Father, I have sinned. I am not worthy. But he never said, treat me like one of your servants. Because by the time he could get a word in edgewise, <laughs> His father was already treating him like his beloved child. Amen. All right, the prodigal son, part three. Uh, so, what do you think about uh, the the story from the perspective of the dad <laughs> or the parent? I guess you could say because it really doesn't have to be the dad; it could be the mom. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was uh, pretty challenging too. You know, uh -huh. I think uh, you know um, I listened to the sermon, and I um, I mean, you have to uh, really admire this man's love for his children. Uh huh. I mean, I thought that was pretty powerful. So, or the, the, the parental figure, whether it's male or female or, you know, I don't believe in either. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty, um, like, you know, just having, you know, been um, put into a situation to raise children. Um, you know, I'm raising my sister's kids. So yeah. I think um, just learning that kind of love, that, that, that love that, you know, that parent, that parents have for their children, having that biologically birthed them, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, an, that's been an interesting experience and journey, just trying to, you know, understand yeah. what that is. Yeah. 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 The idea that this guy is so consistent, you know, I don't know if, um, we have an idealized view of our, our own parents, but definitely, I mean, I think of my dad, for example, as succeeding in all these ways that I fail as a father on a regular basis. And, and maybe I'm just, maybe I just have an idealized view, you know, um, mm -hmm. but this idea of a father who, you know, he, he seems to maintain that of um, just a consistency with the, the embodiment of grace in his different interactions with, and the different kind of turmoil that he, the family goes through. And I feel like, wow, you know, as a dad, like I don't do that, <laughs> you know, um, I have moments, shining moments where I'm like the kind of dad I think my kids deserve. But a lot of the time I just feel like I'm completely just flailing, you know, and I look back mm -hmm. on so many scenarios where I'm like, oh, the, the truly compassionate or wise thing to say would have been this mm -hmm. if I had had the presence of mind, <laughs> you know, right. Um, I right. Can relate to that. Yes, definitely. And the idea that they're, they, they all have their own path. So they're going to take and that path is not necessarily the path that I, I journeyed along, you know, that they mm -hmm. all are, mm -hmm. they're going to take their own, um, their own way. And, um, you know, I may think that I know, um, I have, I think I struggle with projecting things that, you know, out into the future, like, well, if this doesn't happen, this is going to happen in the future. Right. And then in fact, right. that's, you know, we don't right. know if that's really the, what's yeah. going to happen. 
Yeah, and what what's happening there too, and this is something I recognize in myself too, is you project through your parenting, you know, you project your own insecurities or mm. your own wounds or your yes. own, you know, anger or whatever, whatever junk that you've got that you're dealing with, like you just sort of throw that on your kids and you're like, you have to worry about this. You have to think about this. You have to anticipate this. You have to have your act together in this particular way. And what you're really doing is you're just listing all the stuff and laying out all the stuff that you feel bad about with your own life, you know? Right, um, right. And, and to see that like the dad in this parable is not actually leading out of his own insecurity. Like right. he's really just thinking about, um, the. he's really just, just moving out and and acting out of a sense of and speaking out of his his love for his kids and his trust that his family that if we if we just stay the course with with grace like that our family is going to be okay you know he's leading out of trust and not out of anxiety um right which is so you see that from time to time in your in life <laughs> but it's not that common <laughs> right 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 yeah, and in all the ways that we let, um, you know, I was thinking about October is a particularly hard month for me because, you know, two years ago, my mom got sick and mm -hmm. um, passed away. And, uh, you know, I've, I've lost my older sister, was brutally attacked and killed in October. My stepmom passed away in October. Um, it's my younger sister who passed away. Her birthday is in October. So October is a pretty rough month oh, for man. me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's full of um, good stuff too, you know, but there's pain that comes with October. And um, I think, you know, the things that I look back on that you, you, and you hear it all the time. Um, and I knew, I, I know better, you know, but I remember one of the biggest things that my mom and I get, would argue about would be money. You know, how am I going to support, you know, the kids? How, what about your, your um, medical needs? And, and so uh -huh. you get caught up and wrapped up in all this material stuff. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, it, and it does, it takes away from the issue at hand, which is just pure love, you know, and, yeah. and, and being with one another. And I think, you know, it's interesting when we look at the two sons, they are caught up in, it seems to me like a value system where like their worth is determined by what they have or what they're going to get. Because you talked a lot about that yeah. materialism uh -huh. um, in the sermon. And so I was like, wait, you know, is there something else going on here? We, we have this, this really great understanding of what it is to love, I think, unconditionally or um, just, you know, let love lead us. Right. with the father's actions and then um but then you also have the the two sons and we've, and we've already talked about them but but what kind of value system like their worth right. what i'm talking about like you know how much of our worth gets wrapped up in the material you know yeah. like the more things that i have or you know right. that you know makes me feel um um you know that that determines you know how good i am um and the father's just like i think at the end too he's like yeah everything that i've had has always been yours but like also, I think there's this idea of that we're good enough. You know, I'm going to throw some Brene Brown in here, but it seems like, like you know, that, that we're all good enough. We have, yeah. we're all enough. Like, we're all yeah. here. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really great. Um, and then going back, you know, I wish I would have had that mindset. You know, I, I wonder what creates that value system. Is it because of the, 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 the things that our society values? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, you know, money, money is a big, big part of life, you know, yeah, trying to, yeah. you know. Um, have, have you ever listened to, do you ever listen to Sweet Honey and the Rock, the band? No, or the uh -uh. Group? Well, they're an acapella uh -uh. group and it's one of those bands that they've been a band or a, a group, a singing group for like mm -hmm. 40 years. And over that time, the, the members of the group today, they're not the same members from original, like people have come and gone stayed for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, two years, you know, and it's always a different configuration, but it's Sweet Honey and the Rock. And it's, they're all, it's, it's black culture, African culture. Um, they, in, they write original music, they interpret um, uh, African-American spirituals, they, they interpret uh, a African folk songs, and they just incorporate Afro-Caribbean uh, rhythms, uh, language, uh, gospel, blues, ba basically the the world of blackness <laughs> is their forte, and they're all women, and they're a cappella, um, and oh my gosh, L just extraordinary beyond belief. 
Mm-hmm. And so they've got like a million records. Um, but they have this song called, sorry, that was a long lead in. Sorry about that. Um, but they have this song, if you want to look it up on Spotify or something called it. So the band is Sweet Honey and the Rock. And they have a song called There Were No Mirrors in My Grandma's House. And wow. it, it tells this story of a little girl. Well, she's a woman now, but she's remembering as a child um there were no mirrors in her grandma's house and when she went there there was no uh, matrix of evaluation for how she looked nobody talked about how she looked her grandma never said anything about her physical appearance her grandma taught her how to bake bread and and how to um do everything that she did she played she dug in the dirt and you know she 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 uh sang songs and jumped rope and ran did explore explored the yard and whatever it is that she did you know um and uh her grandma's house was a place where she never thought about or or was made to think about um how the world perceived her you know because it was just a safe place total acceptance total loving unconditional it was home and then she w- goes out into the world, of course, and the people think this about her, people think that about her, and they say things to her about how she needs to be more like this, or she needs to look like this, or she looks too much like this, and uh, there's something wrong with her teeth, or there's something wrong with her hair, or God knows what, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's this commemoration of her grandma's house where where that kind of judgment and evaluation didn't exist. And And I think of that with regard to the parable of the this this parable because like obviously if the father has this this never-ending unconditional love like the boys these these young men they grew up in the context of that love you Mm -hmm. know but the world is there telling you that you have to have this and you have to have this and if you have this much money or if you have this much uh uh property or if you can throw a big party you know, or if you have servants or God knows what, um, then that indicates a level of value, right? So even though they didn't get that from their father, they got it, you know, and those values mm-hmm. still insinuated themselves into their hearts and souls and caused them to fear what they feared and pursue what they pursued and and be angry about the things they got angry about, you know, and if they could just rest in this the the grace that they got from their parent you know then they wouldn't have to (laughs) listen to all those other demons you know but uh yeah so you should look up that song though yeah i will it's a good one yeah sounds like it yeah um but that too as i I was i wrote down there was this guy i didn't i'm not sure if i talked about him in any of the sermons but i was i'm i just found out about this guy his name is ken bailey New Testament scholar, and he he died a few years ago, but he had a very long career, um, and his his jam was is uh, is actually studying the cultures of ancient Palestine and the ancient Middle East, where the uh, stories of the New Testament were actually uh, actually originated, like understanding the context, mm-hmm. you know, um, of what those cultures and communities were like to understand what's in the Bible, you know, even more fully. And he, he was talking, he has this long series on YouTube of lectures about the prodigal son. And he really wanted to, one of the points he really emphasized over and over is that when, when Jesus talks about, uh, God as a father and, uh, you tells this parable in which the God character is a father. He's act, Jesus is not actually trying to compare God to fathers as we know them, but rather Jesus is trying to contrast God with the model of fatherhood that we are familiar with. Because a regular father, like your average Joe dad, would not have behaved the way the father behaves in right. this parable. You know, he would have lost his mind, (laughs) freaked out, disowned his kid, beaten him publicly, (laughs) you know, like all sorts Mm -hmm. of things. And that's actually, that, that fits too, because like when we were were saying a few minutes ago, how like, as a parent, I feel like I can only in my very best moments, could I muster the kind of compassion 
that this guy shows towards his sons. And I feel so inadequate as a result, you know, but, but it, it, so it's sort of fitting to say, no, Jesus is not saying like, God is like the way most dads are, you know, he's like, like God is the way you, you could, a dad should, or a mom should aspire to be. But the mm-hmm. model being demonstrated here is not <laughs> what any of us would recognize as the norm, you know, because it's like, it truly is like a superhuman, supernatural level of grace that we try to like push ourselves beyond our human limitations in order to try to emulate it and try to imitate it, you know, but it's not the baseline normal human way, right? Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think about that? Or like, do you? Well, yeah, I mean, through? yeah, because I think for me, like, you know, um, it's just the idea that again, God is love and love is, you know, like this, this thing that totally um, is powerful. I don't know how you would describe it. You know, it's all a bunch of things, but it definitely, um, I think, brings us all together, obviously. And, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, like the question I had is what if we, what if we all loved each other in this way, mm-hmm. regardless if it's family or not? What if it was yeah. just anybody, somebody we didn't know? What if we just had that type of compassion and love, yeah. you know? Yeah. For people, regardless of, you know, status or. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's some, that's a desire that you have in your heart for the world to be like that. Okay. So now just imagining some scenario, let's, let's take it out of the realm of like you as a parent and and your kids. Let's just Mm -hmm. think about like some person really, really offended you. Um, like did something truly, truly, uh, really, really bad, um, on par with the, the, the son, you know, uh, you know, insulting his father, denigrating the family name, leaving home and squandering the, his inheritance and everything. Um, so some person that, you know, uh, commits some kind of offense against you at, that's at that kind of level of severity. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel personally ready to extend an immeasurable grace to that person? And if not, what do you think stands in the way of that happening in your life? Well, I mean, I can just speak on my own personal experience with um, my sister being murdered. I mean, that was horrific. And, um, you know, you go through a whole range of emotions with... Um, what you would like to do that to that individual who um, who hurt her and killed her and um, you know anything from I would just love to honestly kill that person because that's the rage that you feel that's the hurt that you feel that's the betrayal that you feel um, at first and then once you step away from that emotional um, you know uh, if you can step away from that from that emotional part of it and, and let time because time and love heal right and you look at it and now the questions are how did he get to that place where he was able to do that to another human being mm-hmm. you know um now that doesn't take into consideration socio or psychopaths i mean that's it's whole that's a whole nother uh, gamut i think but when we talk about about people majority i guess um i don't know you know but but i think that love has a, a way of preventing those things um, if you look at things that do happen when people preventing do preventing you, your own re- retribution, is that what you uh, mean? Or yeah, my own retribution, but because I don't think that there, that retribution can come in any other form than love. So, and also preventing people from doing horrific things like, like killing others and, and, um, you know, rape, um, lying, you know, all the types of ways that we are betrayed. I think, um, you know, yeah. And, I, and I'm not sure I'm not like an expert on this, but I do know in, our, in my family's circumstances, you know, as my mom's lying on her deathbed, um, you know, the thing that she looked up and said to me was, I hope that, and I won't say his name, really, really gets to feel God's love. I mean, that's, that's what she yeah. said about, uh, about this person who took her daughter from us. Um, and that, that to me was really powerful because, yeah. um, you know, that's, that ties into forgiveness, 
but I think it's, it's love. And I think when I look at the relationship that, I, that she even had with this individual, I mean, she was always showing this person love and always trying to help and always trying to, um, you know, show a different, different way. Um, but I think that, you know, like if you, if you put that into context, when, when, when people are younger, you know, when, when children are younger and, and we could, you know, I look at what I do for a living teaching and, you know, they, they, a lot of students come in there that just need love, you know, mm -hmm. because they don't have it. And, and in what ways can we all in any facet of our society, just wrap our arms around each other and, and lift each other up? I mean, I know it sounds kind of, you know, I think it's spiritual. I think it's, it's, I, and I do believe in it. And I think that that, for me, that's what yeah. the, what, what I loved reading this was, you know, how, in what ways can, can I show more compassion or love, you know, and, and yeah, are people going to hurt me and people are going to make, you know, they're going to do things I think to, to, uh -huh. you can't prevent that, but you can model love. And, and, and I say that having experienced incredible pain, um, and losing my sister, do, do you think that your ability to uh, forgive and also to experience your mom forgiving this person who committed such a grievous sin um, against your family and against your sister, um, d does that make, I, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, does, does that make it easier if you can do, it's like, if I can do that, I can sure do this. Like if I can express grace to this degree in this, ex, this, this situation, it makes it easier to uh, forgive the person who rear-ended my car in the grocery store parking mm -hmm. lot. Um, because I, I'm good at this. I, I have really worked at expressing forgiveness or er, of experiencing forgiveness and offering forgiveness. Um, am I, is that, Am I off base? Is that, uh, or, or would you put it a different way or how would um, you? I think it's connected. I think, you know, obviously each experience lends you to be able to handle other experiences differently. I think, mm -hmm. um, now it depends on probably how much sleep I've had. No plan. Um, <laughs> but yeah. no, I think a lot of things I, depend on that. Right. But I think that anytime that I'm having a moment where somebody just rubs me the wrong way or gosh, I'm really like irritated yeah. by this person. I think if I, um, if I'm able to, you know, just stop and pause and then, um, try to look at what, what's going on there. Usually yeah. it's something that's going on with me. It has nothing to do with that other person at yeah. all. Yeah. You know? So I think, um, yeah, just, I think this, my whole experience is, um, I'm able to maybe pause better and just mm -hmm. extend out, um, you know, love and, and maybe empathy is a better word. Yeah. You know, yeah. towards other people. Um, and again, realizing that other people have their own paths and it's not for me to judge. I think, I think when we start, you know, judgment plays a part in it too. Right. Right. Um, you can. Okay, so this is kind of, this is connected, but th this isn't exactly what we were just, what, what we have been talking about, but it's connected. So um, the idea of earning love, right? That, and that how this parable shows that you can't earn love. And it shows it from two different sides. One, the younger son, he did everything uh, he could to deserve the opposite of love or rejection or whatever you want to call it. And yet he was shown love despite the fact that he didn't earn it, right? But then mm -hmm. in the second half of the story, the older son, he l makes a whole laundry list of all the reasons that he has earned love. And he is still told, no, you didn't earn my love. I don't love you because you did all this stuff. I love you because I love you. I love you because you are my, my son. That's it. And right. so whether you want to earn love or whether you know you haven't lo earned love or you've tried not to earn love, you still get the love. It cannot be earned. It cannot be lost. How do you feel about that? And I know you've talked about doing, you know, at various times in your life, being the achiever, being the one who, uh, who did everything right and who followed the rules. And, yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. I, totally, I totally bought into the system and, and how it works. And, and it, and it, and it did work it does work for me um because i i do all those things but 
to learn that, that my value is not tied into it, but that's something that's been, well, it's taken lots of therapy. I mean, to <laughs> disassociate uh-huh. the, oh, if I do this and if I'm, you know, if I work harder and, you know, I try to achieve this, that has nothing to do with, with um, how somebody can love me. I mean, it ties into personal relationships, um, relationships with me, you know, with my um, niece and nephew as I'm raising them, um, other people that I come in, you know, students, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, but so, so for me, it took a while to, and it still does, it takes to, to, to rewire all of that or try to re, you know, retrain um, my idea of where my value lies, you know, and, and how people love me. And huh. it, it, you know, you could yeah. talk about love languages, but we would go in there. But like, I thought that my love, that the, the, how people would love me would be tied to how much I did for them or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that's just a, it's a faulty system to get wrapped up in. Yeah. Yeah. Just hearing you describe that, it just reminds me, I think we talked about this the last time we talked too, is like this idea that like, when you read this parable or when you go about your life and you're kind of sometimes applying, trying to apply the wisdom of this parable to your life, you feel yourself like swinging back and forth between identifying with the different characters, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, it's easy for you in one moment to be feeling like the older son because you're in achievement mode and you're trying to like show somebody show dad show mom or show god or just show the world show your boss whoever like look i did good you know like that's very important but then there's these other moments where like all of a sudden you just like realize you are in the mode of the parent and like you or the the this the the superior person or the the stronger bigger person who's in a position to extend grace and you're like okay please quick try to be like god (laughs) real quick you know and then there's these other times when you just feel so like brought low you know and burdened and you feel like you've lost your sandals on the road half a mile back and like you know like you just feel you're just a wreck and all you want to do is just like lean on somebody you know and collapse Mm -hmm. and say i'm sorry and just say i blew it and and just rest in in the arms of some somebody else's reassurance (laughs) you know and like it's like we're it's it's not schizophrenic but like we we are all these people you know and um yeah (laughs) i don't know what beyond that i should say but like yeah this we're all over the map you know in this story um yeah um but yeah the last note that i wrote for, for myself was that the idea when i was getting ready to talk to you um was this idea of uh what was it it was it was it this this idea that um so we can't nothing we can do takes us out of the realm of god's love so we can't screw up bad enough so that god you know what will stop loving us but we also can't do anything to earn god's love Mm -hmm. so god's love is like supposed to be the the given or supposed to be um, the thing that happens before square one, you know, the thing that we rely upon, the, it's the water in which we swim. I, you know, that's the way we're at least supposed to be thinking of it. And so that, that leaves us, if we're not, if we can't get rid of it and we can't gain it, um, what can we do? And it's like, the idea is that like, what you're, you're then to do is to experience it, lean into it and emulate it and multiply it, you know, um, to the greatest extent that you can, like trusting God and asking God for help, um, being more like God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, my, I it made me think of something my seminary professor said years ago, and I hadn't thought about this in a long time. But he he was talking about he's little children, and he was like, little children want to be like the people who love them, and so if your dad drives a truck, like you just imagine being driving a truck someday when i'm big i'm gonna drive a truck and he was talking about how toddlers will put on the shoes of their parents and Mm -hmm. try to like walk around the living room wearing these gigantic (laughs) clown shoes you know um and it's that that idea that there's they they take glee they take like real joy in that that trying to put on the shoes of their parents you know um because it's like pretending to be like the the people who love them and care for them and are you know making sure that they feed them and raise them and everything and and i i love that image of uh 
you know, as a child of God, you know, the idea that you would, in some equivalent way, that you're, what you really want to do is be like God because God loves you, you know? Um, yeah. What, what are you, what are you thinking? Oh yeah. I mean, so it shows up a little bit differently for me. Um, but you know, it's the same, it's the same like baseline, like being able to emulate the, the love, you know, um, because I think it's hard. I think love, like, I think, um, the older you get and the things that you go through, um, make loving people hard. I mean, when people hurt you and, um, you know, or, or you're brought up in a, in a way that, um, you know, you're, you know, that's that person, you know, you know, so when you're taught, you were telling and talking about, um, leaning into that love, you know, I just, being gay, you know, um, you know, and then, you know, if we're supposed to love everyone, then, you know, I've, there are people that think that, that I shouldn't, that gay people shouldn't. That you're not the same, that like, not the same. human being as, yeah. <laughs> you know, they are. Exactly. The value, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. always been interesting to me when I have never understood that. Um, and so I think that, uh, yeah, like I, it's it's amazing how it shows up for other people you know this idea of god's love and and how they interpret it right um, so that in itself is a whole other question because i can see so many ways you know that but i think what i just and i don't know i don't know all the details i just saw a headline in the the news about you know same-sex marriage is now you know maybe that's something that they're going to talk about um the Supreme Court's going to talk about again because it might infringe upon religious freedoms. So I just, you know, so I, yeah. that's something that's like, oh. Yeah. Well, I'm a minister of the gospel and to outlaw same-sex marriage, that would infringe upon my religious freedom. So, uh, right. Yeah. right. I love these debates that we, that, that we have, you know, and sometimes I, you know, so it's a universal love that we're, we're, called the you know that we're talking about right mm -hmm. it's it's for everybody in all times and places you know right right um, but your connections are not universal the scenarios that you're in are limited to your life experience the people that you interact with and the people that you're sort of placed in a position to influence are um limited they're not universal they are the people that god puts in front of you in your life you know mm -hmm. and and sometimes i i think about that and i'm like yeah so when you're thinking about like all the people who like spew hatred at you or target you for mistreatment or whatever the case may be and you're thinking like you know if i'm going to imitate god's love am i saying what I, i've just signed up for a life of like uh trying to face my tormentors and like love them in the face of their um them not loving me and you know i i think that there are scenarios that you're definitely called to do that but um i don't think it's helpful to like just assume that you're like being called to like just daily uh abuse <laughs> or something like that um right. because sometimes um you know the the stronger call um, would be let I'm just making this up but like you know you are a 40 year old gay woman who's got this life experience and you're you've accumulated a great deal of wisdom and insight about you know how to be strong and how to be wise and and a good person right and and so you know you are going to see younger people than you who are the targets of mistreatment or and who are anxious and and dealing with whatever crisis is crises that they're going through and now you're in a position to offer grace and support and care um to that person and it you know it might be that your call to support the victim is actually stronger or or clearer than your call to confront the the wrongdoer you know um and right. i think everybody's life story is unique and so I, don't, I wouldn't even hazard a guess as to what that calling is for you or any individual person but i i i i see that you know all of us are presented with an array of opportunities you know um to imitate god's love right and right. we shouldn't always just like assume that um that that looks like one kind of interaction or confrontation or dialogue you know because it really could be <laughs> any number of things, right? 
um, and right. any number of people that you're really supposed to be investing your time and your energy and your spiritual resources for. Yeah. Um, but that is tough. Um, and, and really even keeping that in mind day by day, no matter what you encounter saying like, like I have a, an imperative today right now to be leaning on God's love and imitating and multiplying God's love. Like, in this moment, whatever the moment is, like that's a pretty profound thing to try to keep at the front of mind, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not a not a simple thing, not a small thing. Well, it is a simple thing, but it's not a small thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so as you think about, uh, let's wrap up here. And as you're you're thinking about this message, these this story, these characters. Um, yeah, if just uh, if somebody's been been hit hard by this story and they're in a tender place and they're thinking about how they fit in, they're thinking about how they relate to an almighty, everlasting, unconditional love, um, what would you, do you have any parting words for, for somebody who's really trying to take this parable to heart? Let's see here. I think, I think it's just that we're all, we're all loved. I mean, we're all we're all worthy of that kind of love. I mean, as much as it's hard to sometimes, I think, believe ourselves, but we are, you know, we're all yeah. here and we're all, um, there is no, um, there are no different places or fields that we, you know, we're all in the same playing field and, you know, deserve, I don't even know if deserve, but just need to welcome that love as much best that we can. So I think sometimes it's a challenge every day to, to actually believe that we are, um, you know, I guess maybe worthy of that love. Yeah. 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 Just, ex just accept it. Just accept it, which is really yeah. hard. Yeah. At times. Yeah. So. yeah. If you, but if you can accept that you, that the love is there for you, you might be able to also accept that the love is there for your neighbor. Right. And right. maybe it's the other way around. Maybe if you need to accept that the love is there for your neighbor, and if you can do that, you you might have enough courage to believe that that love is there for you as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Love it. It's <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. For more podcasts, blog posts, or to make a financial gift, visit thetableqc.com. Have a blessed day.